Well, good morning, and God bless you, Paul. I am Pastor Courtney Hall of PCFLA. For any visitors that are streaming with us today, and thank you for your patience in the transition there. I have a lapel mic on, but uh, just happened to check it moments before coming up and realized that it didn't, uh, it wasn't lighting up. So fortunately, I have this mic from my dear friend and our dear pastor, Henji, and he is ever conscientious to clean it for me before handing it over. This is a wise thing to do. We, we are practicing uh, social distancing and uh, protective measures here in the sanctuary, even though at this time, as you are aware, by being a part of this uh, streaming service or perhaps watching a recording or listening to a recording later, uh, that we are in a moment in which uh, the sanctuary is not open. But for the minimal numbers of us that gather in this space, <coughs> excuse me, to provide this service via our uh, internet airwaves, if you will. Nevertheless, we, we wear masks and we distance. And uh, I mention all of this just to let you know that, uh, first of all, we're all in this together. And uh, lest we become overly discouraged in these times or overly casual about um, wisdom that we can operate in, uh, I just want to remind you that we here are operating in that as well. And we pray that that would be an encouragement to you. And we enlist your prayers, of course, not only for our protection, um, but also for yours and for the blessing of the body of Christ in this season, that we would be uh, covered by the hand of the Lord with his grace to protect, to heal wherever there is sickness or illness, to strengthen wherever there is weakness or weariness, to encourage wherever there is despair or despondency, to correct wherever there is deviance, and uh, to infuse, to inspire all of us, because we all need that always, so that we could carry on victorious in destiny. It's an acronym that spells out COVID, a name none of us are particularly likely to enjoy hearing at this time. But perhaps if we can rebrand it with that perspective, that we are in this season not without God's awareness, nor without God's planning, and not without God's purpose, but rather that we would carry on victorious in destiny, then there is, I think, for us a pathway of praise. Will you say that phrase with me? Wherever you are right now, streaming with us, or if you are participating in this as a recording later, just speak that out. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed to speak out in your home. Maybe you have family members or roommates there with you. Invite them to speak it with you. But even if they don't, you speak it. Maybe you've got a dog or a cat or a nice potted plant there. Speak it to them. Say, I'm on a pathway of praise. I'm on a pathway of praise. If you are following Jesus, and I pray that you are today, and if you're not, I pray that you are by the end of today. I pray that you are by the end of this message. I invite you to follow Jesus, because following Jesus is the pathway to praise. And following Jesus is the pathway to purpose, the purpose of your life, what you were made for. You were made to follow Jesus. You were made to praise the Lord. And when you and I enter into the purpose of our life and the praise of our Lord, we also enter into the promised land, the place of his presence and his promises. And no 
no COVID, no pandemic, no problem or person or power in heaven above or on the earth or under the earth can possibly keep us from the purpose of God, which in fact is love in Jesus Christ our Lord. A pathway of praise is what it means to follow Jesus. A pathway of praise is what it looks like to be a Joshua generation. And that's the, uh, the theme for us in this season of our sermon series this summer. It's a theme that we initiated last year when we began studying the first half of the book of Joshua, and we are returning to it again, although we've never, we've never set it aside. We've never forgotten the reality that the Lord has said to us here at PCF in this season, we're a Joshua generation. But even if you're not a regular member of our congregation, if you're a guest today, we welcome you. And we also acknowledge that you have a purpose in the Lord that involves being a person of praise, who is connected with people of praise, who are on a pathway of the purposes of the Lord in our lives. And so in that measure, to that extent, you also are part of a Joshua generation. What does it mean to be a Joshua generation? Well, I'm going to talk more about that today. That's part of what we are studying as we move through the latter 12 chapters of the book of Joshua as we look at Joshua chapter 15 today. But in doing so, uh, I also want to prepare us by recognizing that all people were made to praise the Lord. And so whether you're a part of this fellowship or not, you are part of God's plan that would lead you to be a person of worship. There is wisdom that flows to us from God in worship. There is rest that restores us from the inside out from God when we worship. There is release of promises, blessings, capacities, guidance from God that is released in the context of worship. Worship is the womb in which God sows the seed of his promises and purposes into us and releases his life through us. And in that, there is labor. In that, there can be even pain. As we sang today, our God is a God who gives and takes away. And yet, still, I will say, blessed be your name. No matter what. Whether I am facing problems or I am experiencing promises. In fact, the Lord has promised that we would face problems. So even if you're facing problems, you're in the middle of one of the promises of God. And even as Pastor Ron Younger preached to us just a few weeks ago, whenever we encounter problems, we are to count it all joy. And that means an attitude of praise. It doesn't mean that we deny the problem. It doesn't mean that we, that we um, put on some kind of Pollyanna show of, of artificial, false, happy-go-lucky cheer while inside we're really crumbling. Or that we walk around in some kind of deluded, foggy state in which we're seeing everything through rose-colored glasses and not seeing reality. In fact, Praise is precisely the opposite of that. I want to talk today about how praise is, in fact, seeing things from God's perspective. When we see the world from God's perspective, we have reason to praise him. When we see problems, our problems, the problems that we are facing, problem people, people who cause us problems, or sometimes we're the problem people, sometimes we're the problem child in the room, 
Nevertheless, when we see other people and even ourselves through the lens of God's eyes, the lens of God's love, through the eyes of Jesus Christ, a person like us, God himself and yet fully human, acquainted with problems, even acquainted with sin, the prophet Isaiah said, which is not to say that Jesus sinned, but that he knew what sin looked like. He knew what it was to live in a world fraught by sin. He knew what it was to be tempted by sin, and he knew what it was to see the destructive results of sin, so that even though he never sinned himself, Jesus is fully aware of what sin looks like and what it does. And Jesus is fully aware of the effect of sin because even though he was without sin, he took my sin and yours upon himself to purge us of that sin and its results and empower us in the promises of the Lord. And when we see things through his eyes, we have reason to praise. In fact, what I've just shared, the very good news itself, that even though you and I are sinners, we've been forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Savior. That is enough for me to praise God forever. Forever. That alone is more than enough. And in fact, that's the key that opens up every other praise because the reality is, even though that's enough to praise God for, there is so much more to praise him for. Every day, in every way, there are riches and treasures, promises and opportunities, problems and people to praise God for. Because in God is fullness of joy, and in Christ our purpose is fulfilled. I think that's what it means to be a Joshua generation. People who are ready to perceive that and believe that and enter into the problems that come with the promises because we have faith in the Lord to see us through. The generation that preceded Joshua, the generation that Moses led, didn't have that kind of faith, unfortunately. And so they expired in the wilderness. After 40 years, that generation died out because they were not prepared to pick up the promises that were involved in taking the promised land, the land that God had given to them, the land that God had promised to them. But another generation followed them. And that generation was able to learn from the problem people that preceded them and say, we will trust in the Lord. We will enter into the promise. There were plenty of battles to be fought. There were plenty of enemies to be faced. And there were a lot of times when those people, the Joshua generation people, fell down. They failed. They made mistakes. But do you know what? God was faithful. And they entered into the promise. And they ate of the fruit of the land. And they, they lived out the promise of the kingdom because they believed in the promise of the Lord. I'm excited to share today's teaching with you. But before I get to that, let me just mention a couple of things for those who are members of our congregation. Or if you're looking for a congregation to be uh, connected to in this season, I want you to know that even though this sanctuary isn't open at the moment, we are prayerfully believing and expecting and praying for the day when it will open again. But nevertheless, we continue online. We have our midweek Zoom prayer meetings. We have Bible studies. Uh, that uh, meet either in small outdoor environments or online through Zoom, uh, through FaceTime. 
And we also have Praise School of Ministry, which is going to be starting back up next week. So of course, you know, as an instructor in that school, I want to give a plug for some of our classes that are upcoming. I just want to remind you, this is not the time to get disconnected. And don't use the pandemic as an excuse not to be present with the people of the Lord. I'm not saying that um, if you're uh, attending uh, another church and you just happen to be hearing this message because someone shared it with you uh, or you uh, are uh, looking to um, to extend your the feast in the word, that's great. I know there are some that are part of other churches and attending other churches and their online services or outdoor services, but who also participate in our weekly teachings. I'm so grateful for that. And I want you to know we affirm that the body of Christ is rich and full and diverse, and we are so grateful that there are many localities for you to be connected to. But one thing is essential, that you have somewhere a local church to which you are submitted in which you are connected, where you serve, where you give. And of course, if you don't have that, we would be delighted for PCF to be uh, your home. And if PCF is your home, then I want to remind you, you have a commitment. And I'm calling you to remember that. And I suppose I'm preaching to the choir rather literally here, because if you're watching or listening to this, it means you're part of that. And so I want to say to you, I praise the Lord for you, for your giving, for your viewing, for your singing, not just watching something and consuming content, but participating in a service so that where you are, you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm part of the church. Do that right now. I'm part of the church. And when you do that, when you speak that out loud, when you sing out loud, when you partake of communion, when you have your Bible with you and you're opening up and you're reading it during our prayer meetings at 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights on Zoom or during these Sunday morning services or watching it later on YouTube, you are part of the body. When you send in your tithe and your offering, either mailing it to the church or going to our website, mypcf.org, and going to the donate page and giving, you are fulfilling your connection. And I want you to know that that will be fulfilling to you too. That's not why we do it. We do it because it's right. We do it because it's part of the pattern of living that God has set out for us in his word. But the reality is that's part of the promise. And when you do those things, when you are participating in the services, when you are speaking the gospel to the people in your life, to people you work with, even if you're working from home, there are times and ways that you can pray for people. You can share the word with people in an appropriate manner. Don't, don't do it in a way that offends the sensibilities of supervisors or workers. Um, don't do it in a way that, that uh, runs contrary to uh, completing your job with excellence. You know, it's not appropriate to fail to do your job with the excuse being, well, I'm a Christian and I was supposed to be evangelizing that person. Evangelizing, evangelize them by your living, by showing how committed and dedicated you are to what you do and how you do it. Do it with the excellence that the Lord would enable you to do. Do it with humility that reflects Jesus Christ. But look for those times, those opportunities where you can speak about your faith or share something prophetic or pray. Even if you can't share, you can pray for someone, right? And in doing these things, in being part of the services, in being part of the prayer, in giving your tithes and offerings, in communicating the promises of Christ, in praying for others, in living according to the fruit of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, you will be fulfilled. That means fully filled with the life of the Lord. And you know what will come out of your mouth when you do that? Praise. These are fundamentals of our faith. But it's, it's amazing to me how I myself, and so I figure I must not be that different from you, um, I, I find that I struggle 
even with the fundamentals from time to time. In fact, sometimes I think when we've walked with the Lord a really long time, and I'm not saying I've walked with him so very long, but I've walked with him for decades now, the better part of my life, to be sure. And I, I recognize that in that, there are things that can slip away. There are things that can dry up. There are things that can get um, kind of stuck. I was reading recently um, an article about uh, jet engines. I, don't, I won't bother you with the burden of how I got into reading about that. But it was interesting to me to discover that if a jet engine stalls in the air at altitude, in other words, a jet, commercial jet airliner is 30 or 35,000 feet in the air, and for some reason, <clears throat> aerodynamically, it enters into what's called a, a, a stall, and there's a flame out. The engine stops uh, actually functioning and uh, has to be kick-started. Boy, there's a thought. Can you imagine being 35,000 feet in the air and your engines go out? We've got to start this thing up. Well, there are actually procedures by which that can be done, but one of the problems that can arise is as the engines stop functioning, as they stop moving, parts cool at different rates. You can imagine that with a huge turbine or a huge uh, a jet engine for a commercial airline uh, plane, <clears throat> that these are uh, machines that are manufactured to extraordinarily specific dimensions and parameters. The engineering of it is very, very uh, specific. And so when uh, something is not functioning properly, even small variances, just a little bit of a change in the environmental operation of that machine can make for a huge impact. So when the engine stops, its parts cool at different rates and the metal can constrict in such a way that the engine can actually lock up. In other words, the parts don't fit together the way they were engineered to fit because they are engineered to fit together in action, in operation. You can imagine how much that engine heats up, right? And there's all kinds of temperature differentials and so forth that occur in the upper atmosphere and at full activity. And all of those things make a difference. Well, here's the, here's the connection point of that illustration. When you and I are living the life of the Lord that he has for us, and we, we are in the upper atmosphere of the things of the Spirit, we are going to encounter challenges. The Lord has prepared us for that. We are going to encounter obstacles. And there may be times where we burn out. And we, there may be times where things stop moving in our spirit and in our lives the way they're supposed to and can constrict in such a way that it's frozen, it's locked up. And in that environment, that can be a tremendous challenge. Uh, airline pilots who have a situation like that on their hands, they need to pray because it's not necessarily possible for that engine to be restarted. Hallelujah, this truth remains. All things are possible with God. So if you have flamed out in this season, if things have seized up on you, if you're feeling stuck, I want to tell you, no matter how high up you are and you've got a long way to fall, no matter how low down you are and you feel like you've already crashed and burned, God is a God, not only of renewal and restoration, but literally of resurrection. Let him bring the looseness, the flow, the air, the breath of his spirit to bear in your life today. And maybe part of um, experiencing that is coming back to the fundamentals. Or maybe you've never made a real study of the fundamentals of faith. 
So in, at PSUM, a week from today, 1 p.m. Pacific time, I'm gonna start a series of classes. And you can take them in any order, but you will benefit most richly, I think, from these if you start at the beginning with me. We're gonna start with Fundamentals of Faith 1. And it's going to deal with new birth. What does it mean to be born again? Why does the Lord call us to baptism in water? How do we express these things to others? How do we lead others into the new birth and new life? And what does that life look like? How do we live it from day to day? Now, I think that if you are someone mature in the Lord, your response to that is not going to be, I already know that, but I'd like to hear more about that. I think that's the sign of maturity, and that's also the sign of a flexible life and a flexible faith that is looking to go higher, to go further, to burn brighter, to have more of God's resource and more of God's blessing and more of God's purpose flowing in your life. So will you please pray about being part of that class? Invite others. In fact, you can invite people who don't even know the Lord. It might be a great opportunity for them to encounter the Lord in that class. Its primary purpose is not evangelistic. So I wouldn't suggest inviting somebody who's got um, animosity towards the gospel or who is standing deeply at odds. But if you know a seeker, someone who says, you know, I, I'd like to know more about what it means to be a Christian, I'm, but I have my doubts, invite them to be part of this class. Uh, it's a relatively inexpensive audit fee. It's just $40 to take part in this six-week course, and it meets once a week. We'll take a break on Labor Day weekend, and it'll be a great opportunity for people to learn more. Now, if you are new to the Lord, and yet you're fully committed, but you'd like to know more about what this life is about and what this word has to say about it and how the Spirit of the Lord animates us in it and how we can lead others into it because we have been called to do that, to proclaim the gospel and make disciples and baptize. How many people have you baptized? Do you know that's part of the Great Commission? You've been called to baptize people. Why haven't you done it yet? You say, well, that's the, part, that's the job of a minister. You're a minister of Jesus if you're following him. You say, it's the job of a pastor. Not exclusively. No. Anybody who follows Jesus sincerely and is connected to the body of Christ and committed to the word of the Lord and filled by the Spirit is empowered and authorized to baptize others. Anybody that is following Jesus is a witness of Jesus. And if you're not a witness of Jesus, friend, you're not following him, no matter what you call yourself. Call yourself Christian all you want. Go to church every week. Give your tithes and offerings. But if you're not a witness for Jesus in the world, you're not following Christ. And you won't be fulfilled because it's your purpose to follow him. It's your purpose to lead others to him. It's your purpose to praise him. So come be a part of PSOM. And if you've walked with the Lord a real long time, we could use your wisdom in our class. I'd love to hear from you about things the Lord has taught you and shown you. And I also know that if that is true of you, you're also someone who says, I want to know more. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. There will be a series of these classes. They will build on each other. Yes, you can come in and take any one of them uh, discreetly. But as I said, I think joining them together will be very, very effective for you. We're also going to have uh, Sister Tammy teaching a class that deals with spiritual warfare, and I can't imagine a more pertinent topic in our times than that. I know that you might be saying, boy, he's going on quite a bit about this. This is not just a promotion for uh, the school of ministry that we have. This is about how do we be the people of God in this present moment. We cannot be just people looking to have services. We need to be people in service, in service to God, in service to others. 
Otherwise, we're out of service and we're out of order, and that's the engine at 40,000 feet that freezes up and crashes and burns. We need to keep moving, keep flowing, keep growing, keep going in the things of the Lord. And these classes and our weekly prayer meetings, they're about equipping you to do that in the rest of your life. Every day, Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, 24-7, finding the purpose of God's will for you at all times. And you know, the way to begin with that is to begin with praise, to begin with praise. Let's praise the Lord as we look to his word. Joshua 15 is the chapter we'll be looking at. You can turn to it now. Father God, we come to the reading of your word and to the study of your scriptures today, believing eagerly that you have for us purpose in today's subject and promise in today's word. But we know also that there are problems that we face and people that can be a challenge. And even we ourselves are challenging people. And we are challenged, Lord, by our own experience of problems and pressures. And so we ask, Lord, that as we come to your word today, we would not only receive encouragement and correction where it's needed, guidance, but that we would perceive your will, that we would know what you desire of us, Lord, and that we would do it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I have a friend who is an attorney. He's retired. I don't know if that means you're an, a former attorney or if it's once an attorney, always an attorney. I don't know. I know he's enjoying retirement. But he shared a bit of wisdom with me, and I'd like to share it with you. He wrote and said, once I had a genius boss, perhaps an isolated situation in my experience. In other words, count yourself lucky if you have a boss who's genuinely a genius because they don't come along so often. And this boss suggested upon my assignment to him that I start a desk file of any good feedback that I received. Then, he reasoned, when I would have a bad day, I could reach down in my desk drawer and review that positive feedback. I think that is a genius move. I love that idea. In fact, I invite you to do that. You may not have a desk job, you may not have a desk, but you've probably got a purse or a pouch or a satchel or a phone that you can put positive feedback in or someplace where you can record when somebody has said or done something to you that really encouraged you especially if you are in an environment where you're facing a lot of discouragement or a lot of obstacles or challenges. Remember the good words that have been said to you. Not only remember them because you have the benefit of, on a bad day, reaching into that wellspring of encouragement and getting a little bit of restoration, but also, I believe, because it will pattern you in the same fashion. In other words, you'll be a person who will be more inclined to speak positively to others and let your words be life-giving. In fact, it'll be a good reminder to you if you have your own file of positive feedback that you don't want to just be a repository of other people's good comments, but you want to be an instigator, an initiator of good comments to others as well. I think if you've got a memory for the good things that people have said to you, you're more likely to also be a person who says good things to others. And believe me, that's part of being a witness to Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't mean that we just give compliments willy-nilly. In fact, that's one way to devalue our praise of others, right? If you just say good things about anybody and that has no connection to reality, then your praise isn't very meaningful. So while I think it is wise for all of us to be generous with our, with our positive feedback to others, be sincere in it also. So that people know when you give them a compliment, it's a genuine compliment. That you don't just give them out haphazardly or without a conscientious consideration of what you're saying, but that you're saying something true and that will give added strength to it. I think you'll find that if you're a person who appreciates the positive feedback that you receive from others and also produces that kind of commentary into the world that you live in, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you'll find a positive attitude flourishing in your own spirit. You know, I want to go back to that, what I just said about in your home, because sometimes we can be very positive in the workplace, maybe very positive in a public setting, but you know who often gets the worst of us? The ones who get the most of us, our own family members. People can be lovely to others and really terrible to their spouse. I'm not going to name any names, but I just want to let you know that yours truly is capable of that kind of poor behavior. Fortunately, I have a patient, loving spouse. And I know that it's also true with parents and children, with siblings. Don't forget to say I love you to people who already know that you love them. It doesn't hurt to say it, and it can hurt not to. Don't be one of those people who never says it, and then it's too late. Remember to tell the people that you live with what you love about them. Remember to speak encouragement to them. You parents who are encouraging your kids to do well in school and riding them hard, remember to reward them well also when they do something right, when they get something uh, successful going in their life. Recognize and acknowledge that. Look for opportunities to give the positive comment. Remember to compliment your husband, your wife. Remember to speak your love to them. Remember to tell your parents how much you respect them, how grateful you are to them. Remember to speak to them in a way that acknowledges and honors their eldership, even if they haven't always been perfect to you, because no parent has, and you've not always been perfect with them. All of these, these are aspects of praise, too. And in fact, the reality is, when the Lord is at the center of our life, this kind of praise flows more easily. And where this kind of praise is lacking, praise of the Lord will often be lacking too. But where praise of the Lord is flowing, then positive commentary to one another will be part of our life. Why am I talking about this today? Well, in part, it's because as we move through Joshua, we are looking at people who have to continually deal with problems. The Joshua generation are people of problems. They've got to enter into this land, and it's not easy to get there. In the first half of the series that we went through last year, we saw that there were challenges. There was, a, there was a Jordan River at flood stage that they had to cross. There were giants in the land that they would have to fight. There were tribes and territories that God was calling them to take hold of that involved going into battle. And there were people in their own encampment that weren't dealing rightly with God, that were not being honest with one another, and that were causing problems in the camp. So they had enemies 
enemies outside and natural problems all around and even problem people in their midst. And yet, we know them as people of praise. Perhaps the signal event of the book of Joshua, arguably, because there's a few that really stand out, but probably one of the best known, maybe because it's so popular uh, from very early age in Sunday school, is when the, the people of Israel, under Joshua's leadership at the guidance of the Lord, marched around the city of Jericho, that walled fortress city, and did not raise up their weapons and did not try and pull down the wall, but instead lifted up praise to the Lord. And in doing that, faithful to what he called them to do, the walls came tumbling down. They were people of praise and people of problems. And so we're talking about people of problems and praise, and maybe you can identify with that. I can. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'll praise the Lord when everything gets right in my life, when I have something to praise him for, when finally these things get, get settled. But in fact, what the Lord is saying is the way to deal with problems is praise. In fact, what the Lord says is give praise to God even for the problems because God has allowed any problems that you are having and even the problems in our world, pandemic and division and strife, God has allowed it. Why? Is it because God isn't good? No. Banish that thought. Not because you and I should be afraid to raise the question. It's a legitimate question. But the legitimate answer to it is, it is not because God is not good that God allows problems. In fact, problems arise because people aren't good. Problems arise because there are spiritual powers that are committed to problems. There are demonic forces at work in our world. But God allows the problems that he allows so that people have an opportunity to repent, to relent, to learn, to experience his goodness, to give him glory. And in that, there is an extraordinary blessing available to those who will recognize that God is with us in the middle of the problems. The command of the Lord in the book of Joshua is don't be afraid because of all of these problems you face. I'm with you. I'm not saying that the problems are all wiped out. I'm saying I'm bigger than them, says the Lord. So trust in me. And I've made a promise to you, a covenant, says the Lord, that you will inherit what I've promised to you if you'll believe my word and walk in it. If you'll obey what I say, I will cover you and enable you to do as I do, to live in my life. Now, we are in the second half of Joshua as we come to Joshua 15. And as I've mentioned, this is a section of the scripture that is particularly focused on geography. Let's look at what Joshua 15 has to say. And we're not going to read uh, much of the text of the chapter today, but rather to look at the content of the text uh, from a, a 40,000-foot uh, perspective, if you will. The primary focus of Joshua 15 is looking at the tribe of Judah. Now, you'll remember that in these days, Israel was composed of 12 tribes, essentially. And those 12 tribes were derived from, they were descended from, the 12 sons of the man named Israel, also known as Jacob. Those 12 sons of Jacob had families of their own, and those families became tribes. And that, those tribes, that collective family together, were the confederacy of ancient Israel. And so among those tribes, Judah, named for the son 
uh, one of the sons of Jacob, Judah, which means praise. And in fact, the reason why Judah was named praise is because his mother praised God when he was born. But that was a praise that was offered up in the midst of problems. I won't go into all the details of the bearing of, uh, of Israel or, or uh, Jacob's 12 sons, uh, but you'll remember from our study. Together, uh, PCF, we studied through that when we were working through the book of Genesis over recent years, and we saw the life of Jacob. Do you remember that? And we saw the life of Joseph, one of the 12 sons as well. And we saw the strife that was in that family. They loved each other, but they had problems. People and problems go together. Have you ever noticed that? Turn to the person next to you and say, people and problems go together. Maybe that's the wrong thing to have you say to the person next to you. You're not pointing any fingers. We're just speaking generically here, of course. People and problems go together, right? And often, people in families go together in problems. Families have issues. It's part of being a family. One of the things that I love about the word of the Lord is that it doesn't sugarcoat the reality of our experience. The Bible is not a Pollyanna kind of book. The Bible does not put rose-colored glasses over the truth and try and alter what we see. The Bible shows us without varnish. Warts and all are the heroes of scripture. In fact, Jesus stands alone as perfect in the scriptures, but Jesus doesn't stand apart. That perfect man comes to you and I and says, follow me, be like me. Even Paul in the letters to the church says, have that spirit in you that Christ had. So the point of the scriptures is to not deny the kind of problems that we have, but to look at the reality of how do we deal with them. And so in the context of a man with multiple wives, not a great situation, but that was what the society at the time allowed for. And God allowed it. It wasn't God's will. Uh, and, and plan from the beginning. God made a man and a woman to be in marriage together in a unique binary covenant. But it was people who perverted that plan and process. In ancient days, they had multiple wives. Today, we still do. We just don't marry them. I'm not talking about myself, in case you're getting scared for a moment. I only have one wife, and I'm grateful that I have her. I'm lucky to have her. But what I mean to say is, it is very common today that people are involved in multiple uh, uh, relationships over time. Serial monogamy is, is typical of our society. And that's not dramatically different in many ways from the kinds of relationships that were born out of uh, the plural marriage. It, it is not uh, foreign to our society at all to have people who know what it's like to deal with children from multiple parents and blended families. Well, that's what the family of Jacob was. And, you know, there are issues that can come with that. God loves them. And there's beauty and love in those relationships, too. But there's problems. And one of the problems were that these two wives started competing with one another with who could produce more children. And so when Judah was born, his mother praised the Lord. Now, it's a good response, and it's a good thing. And it also reflects the prophetic purpose of the Lord over the life of that child. Because he saw not only Judah, the boy who would become the man, but also the man who would become the father, the father that would birth a family, the family that would become a tribe, the tribe that would be part of a nation, the nation that would give rise to a savior, a savior who would save the world. So that woman was praising God for one baby, but God knew that her praise was part of the baby that would be the Christ child in the manger, that would be the Christ savior on the cross, that would be the ruler king on the throne. When you and I praise the Lord, we may not have the full picture, but we start to enter in 
to the full promise of God. So, the tribe of Judah stands apart in Israel from a very early point, and partly that's because they're very numerous. In the first 12 verses of this chapter, and then in the remaining bulk of the chapter from verses 20 to 62, we see Judah's portion in Israel. Remember, each one of these 12 tribes is going to get some land, although the Levites actually have a different inheritance. Their inheritance is to be the priesthood. And so they have certain Levitical cities that are going to be given to them, sort of peppered throughout territories. They're going to have some cities in the allotment of Judah, but they don't have a tribal allotment of their own because their, their uh, purpose in the Lord is to carry out the temple priesthood rites. But Judah is going to receive a very significant portion. In fact, it's much of what we would call today uh, the West Bank. That is, that Judah's allotment extends from the Mediterranean, essentially, all the way to the Dead Sea in the east, and from central Israel all the way down to the border with a nation called Edom at that time in the south. And that's what the bulk of this chapter is concerned with. But sandwiched in between is a little bit of commentary about a man named Caleb that we talked about last week. Remember Caleb? He and Joshua were the only two in the generation that Moses led who went into the promised land and said, though there are problems there and there are problem people that we'll have to face, the promise of the Lord is enough and we believe that we can take the land. Only those two believed it. And so the people didn't act upon it, but... Caleb and Joshua survived. The Lord preserved them because they trusted in him. And last week we saw how Caleb came to Joshua and said, I've been trusting and waiting in the Lord faithfully, and now um, I'm asking to receive the inheritance that was promised to me. And so here in the following chapter, we actually get uh, uh, Joshua doing good on that promise and giving to Caleb a particular inheritance and Caleb doing good on his promise because what Caleb said was, even though I'm an 85-year-old dude, I am still ready to fight the battles that are involved and face the problems of the people that I have to face in order to lay hold of the promise. And here in verses 13 and 14, we see that Caleb does that. He goes to battle and he, he achieves conquest of the land that has been set out to him. Now, this is not about battling people. This is not to, um, to fill us with some kind of martial, militaristic bloodlust for fighting. Remember the words that we've heard so frequently this year as we went through our study in, in Ephesians and particularly on the armor, the, the whole armor of God, which is that we don't battle with fresh, flesh and blood. Now, in these days, these people had to. Because if they were not going to fight, they themselves would be um, swept out of the land and swept out of life uh, very frequently because the people were going to fight against them. So it was an environment in which uh, these kinds of conflicts were routine. But the point of the scripture in talking to us about that is not to draw us back to that place of, uh, of, of that social arrangement, but rather to show us that these were people in the... In the uh, uh, case of Caleb, and in the case of Joshua, in the case of Othniel that we'll hear about today, Caleb's nephew, that these were people of praise. In other words, people who said, I, I trust the Lord, that's a, that's a declaration of praise. And I thank the Lord for what he's done for me, and I am going to lay hold of what the Lord has called me to lay hold of. And even though that means facing problems and people, I'm going to do it in the praise of the Lord. Now, I mentioned Othniel, and Othniel is the nephew of Caleb who receives a promise from Caleb. Caleb says, anybody who will go in 
and take this, this particular part uh, of the land, this, this uh, town called uh, Kiriath Sefer, uh, then I will allow that one to marry my daughter. And so Othniel not only achieves the conquest of Kiriath Sefer, but also marries Aksa, who is Caleb's daughter. And Aksa proves to be a very wise and savvy woman. She's one of the examples in scripture of how women in that time, even though they faced many disadvantages in an, in an inequitable society, if you will, um, uh, they also faced certain advantages because of that. Um, nevertheless, the Bible is sometimes misunderstood as being somehow dismissive of or, or even uh, um, diminishing of women. Nothing could be further of the truth. In fact, even in the oldest of scriptures, there are many examples of wisdom operating, uh, women operating with a kind of wisdom that uh, is not only uh, marked and notable uh, and admired by the scriptures and, and presumably admired by the Lord, but sometimes is in contrast to the men around them. Now, in this case, uh, Othniel was a pretty wise dude himself. And in fact, next year, we're going to do a series on the book of Judges. Turn to the person next to you and say, God willing, judges next year. You know, we're working our way through the Old Testament from year to year, and I'm excited to see the book of Judges with you. It is a, a continuation of the Joshua generation study. It's also an advancement into a whole new set of material that I think will be very useful for us next year in the purpose that the Lord has for us. But in any case, um, Othniel is actually one of the judges. And so this is one of those hinge moments. Uh, God willing, and should Jesus tarry, sometime around this time, probably next year, I'm going to be saying to you, do you remember last year when I talked to you about Othniel in the book of Joshua? So it's one of those connecting points that, that bridges between Joshua and judges, the Joshua generation and the judges generation. In any case, Othniel is a wise guy, a victorious warrior, and a faithful man. And his wife, Aksa, uh, all of those things could be said of her too. She operates with wisdom. And she obtains additional land for her family by requesting an area of, uh, of uh, bountiful beauty, upper and lower springs. And her father grants it to her. So it's worth noting here too that even though there can be problems in families, sometimes families are big part of the promised blessing, too. Be one who operates in such a way as to bring more blessing into your family. In any case, this aspect of the chapter that's sandwiched in between is then uh, a bridge to the concluding portion that once again goes into a long list of the cities and territories that are given to Judah. But the chapter concludes with this problematic statement. Even though Judah receives this lion's share of the land, if you will, and by the way, the image of the lion is associated with the tribe of Judah in part because of a passage in Genesis 49 that we'll look at in just a moment, uh, in which the prophecy of Jacob, the father of Judah, the man called Israel, the namesake of the nation, spoke blessing over each one of his sons from his deathbed, as it were, and the blessing that he spoke over Judah was one that involved uh, the symbol of the lion. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, which became symbolic not only of the tribe of Judah, but of the nation of Israel, and by extension, the person of Jesus Christ, because it is out of Judah that a scepter rises, that is, a ruler. David the king is of the tribe of Judah. And, of course, the son of David, the son of man, the son of Mary, the son of God, is also a descendant of Judah. What an amazing thing. And so the lion becomes associated with the rulership 
of the Lord. In fact, if you have today's bulletin, you can download it from our website, mypcf.org. You go to the events page, you can download our bulletin. You'll notice that the image I included on today's bulletin is of the lion, but the lamb as well, that is Christ in his crown of thorns, to remind us that Jesus himself was a person of problems and praise. Jesus came and faced problems for us, with us, not because he had to, but because he chose to, and because there was a purpose of the Father for him to do so. And that purpose is ultimately that you and I would be people of Christ, people of the lion, people of praise. Now, Judah is the original people of praise, if you will, and they received this lion's share of the land, a huge inheritance, but they cannot displace the Jebusites from a city called Jebus, which will later be called Jerusalem. And so to the day in which this is ultimately written, which is probably uh, even further on from the generation of Joshua, even then there are still Jebusites living in Jerusalem. And there's cultural conflict and strife. There's civic strife because of that. There's challenges to Judah experiencing everything of what God desired for them to do because there were people of problems in the land. Now, let me take a moment and we are coming to the conclusion of the message. We're getting into the latter portion of it. But I want to take a moment just to talk about something that we will come back to more in future weeks. So we're laying some groundwork here. But the bulk of this chapter is about saying this bulk of the land belongs to Judah. So here on your screen is the, uh, the map of the tribal allotments in Israel. And you can see that Judah has this massive southern portion. Later on, in the days after David and Solomon have ruled and died and gone to be with the Lord, later on, the kingdom will divide into northern and southern, and Judah will be the name of the southern kingdom. In fact, the name Jew itself comes from Judah, Judahite. It is a, a later um, uh, development of that term. So you can see that the, the southern kingdom is, is essentially um, mostly Judah and then also uh, Benjamin. So this gives you a sense of the placement in the land of Israel. And we will be talking more about this as it comes to bear. But just for today, um, I want to just give you this visual because it's hard reading the chapter to understand precisely what's being described. You can see here Simeon is included also with some scattered cities that are allotted to it within Judah. Here is what uh, Robert Alter, a Hebrew scholar and translator uh, of the Old Testament, wrote about uh, Joshua chapter 15. What begins here, he says, and runs through the chapter is an elaborate geographical tracing of Judah's tribal territory. The general reader can scarcely be expected to follow all these details. So if you read the chapter on your own, and I encourage you to do that, what you will see is it's hard to read it and get a sense of what it's talking about unless you're deeply familiar with the land. Having a map in front of you would be helpful. You can use that map that I've shared. There's others online or maybe in your Bible. Robert Alter continues and says, not, not only would the general reader be challenged by the details that are described in the scripture, but any reader, even a sophisticated one, would need a complicated map to do it. Now, the map I just showed you wasn't that complicated, but what he's saying is if you wanted to find all the little towns and villages that are mentioned in Joshua 15, you'd need a very detailed, historically um, um, informed map. And many of these towns you would still have difficulty finding because we don't know all of them. We haven't been able to locate all of them in, in modern era. 
But there is a point that Alter is making here that I, I want to uh, bring to our awareness as well. So I continue. What, he, what is noteworthy, he says, is the inordinate amount of space devoted to Judah's possessions. In other words, that there's a lot of verbiage here in the scripture to delineate all of the land in very strict uh, detail. There's so much devoted to talking about what Judah has, which appears to cover most of central and southern Israel, from the Jordan to the Mediterranean. As many scholars have inferred, this account in Joshua 15 probably reflects a perspective from a later period as well. In other words, as these texts were carried forward in history and revered, they were also maintained by the temple personnel and by the royal staff. And so ultimately, Judah is going to become the, the tribe of the king, and the king's court is going to uh, recognize that it's very important to show how from the very earliest time the king's family was receiving this allotment under the auspices of God's promise. And so this account reflects that perspective of a centralized monarchy coming from Judah that governed the entire kingdom with Jerusalem as its capital. Now, bear that in mind and then consider what verse 63 says. Even with all of that, verse 63, forever in the eternal word of God, ensconces this reality. This great people of the king who received all of this land still had this problem. There were people living there that weren't supposed to be living there and they couldn't get them out. So they lived with them. That's pretty powerful to me. That the word of God recognizes that you and I have issues like that in our lives, in our world, in our cities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods and workplaces. And sometimes it's not necessarily people, but other kinds of problems that seem to be encamped in your life that you just can't evict. I don't know how to get beyond this issue of uh, financial strife, debt, that just, I, I'm living in it and I can't get beyond it. Maybe the issue is health. I have a chronic condition and I just can't seem to evict that out of my life, so I'm living with it. Maybe the issue is strife in family. Do you have a sibling that you don't talk to? Do you have a parent who abandoned you? Is there someone who abused you? And the hurt and pain of that is something you live with for decade upon decade? Maybe there's something from your past. Maybe you hurt someone else. Maybe something you did wrong that you put out of your mind, that you try and buried so deep, but it's living there with you. And this word recognizes that people have those kinds of problems. And it doesn't mean you can't be a person of praise. In fact, it is, I think, a prompt to you and I that we would be people who praise even in the midst of problems. I want to make a couple of summarizing points, actually a few, three summarizing points coming to the conclusion of today's message. We are people of problems and praise. We are people who have problems. I'm having one now, which is, I don't know where the rest of the screen went. Is that, I guess there's an issue maybe with the slides. Let me summarize it for you. And these, by the way, these slides will be on our website, so you can download them later today. Uh, they will be available for you at mypcf.org on the events page as well. People have problems. That's point number one. People have problems. No matter how well you live, 
no matter how faithful you are, no matter how often you go to church, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much of the word you read, no matter how much you love Jesus, the Lord has not said you will not have problems. He has said the opposite. He will say, he says, in this world, you will have problems. You will have troubles. Why, Lord, why? In part, it comes from us. It comes from us not believing him. It comes from us not trusting him. It comes from us not obeying him, right? Come on, let's acknowledge that. We disobey and it produces problems. Now you say, I've got problems that aren't related to that. Well, don't be too quick to be too sure because sometimes there are connections between our disobedience and our problems that we don't see, but the Lord does. But I will acknowledge this. There are problems we have that are no fault of our own. It may be someone else's fault. It may be something where we cannot assign the blame. And often in that circumstance, what people do is assign the blame to God. Maybe in any circumstance, people will assign blame to God. But it would be better to lift praise to God because I promise you this, no problem in your life originates with God. God did not come to create problems. God did not create you just to create problems for you. But if God allows a problem in your life, it means God can use it. It means it's useful. And if it's useful to him, friend, my brothers and sisters, it's useful to you. He wouldn't allow it if he couldn't use it. Now, there are things that he may want you to fight against. And there are, there are things that he may want you to submit to. There are things that he will want you to declare and say, I, I speak against that. And things that he will say, you need to learn to accept that. And only the Lord really can tell you which is which. Although there are principles that can be derived from this word and that are part of our life together. That's why we come together, so that we can talk about the problems and issues of our lives in the, in the perspective of the Lord, from the perspective of the Lord, in the context of the word, in the flow of the spirit, so that we could sharpen one another, so that we could quicken one another, so that we could prophesy to one another about the things of the Lord. But one thing that we shouldn't expect is while we are living in this world, a world of problems, we shouldn't expect that we won't have any. And if that's what you're waiting for, you're never going to enter into the pathway of praise that God has for you because you're looking for something that God isn't intending. God is not intending to make everything easy and nice for you and me. What he's saying is, I have already saved you from the problems. Even if you're not following him, that's the promise of the good news, that Christ already died for you. The victory is already won for you. There's a reason that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And that is, all the problems of people have been answered on the cross, on Calvary. Every problem answered. But not every person believes that promise. And therefore, not every person enters into it. But any who will believe will enter in. And to as many as will believe, the Lord will make them people of praise. You know how you can tell a genuine Christian they're happy no matter what their circumstance? Doesn't mean they never have an unhappy moment. 
doesn't mean that they're happy in an artificial way. It means that from the inside out, they have begun to realize and to live in the reality that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And that God will not allow anything in our lives that he will not use for our good as long as we are praising him. As long as we are loving him, we are in a pathway of praise. People have problems, and sometimes people are problems. That's point number two. So number one, people have problems. Number two, people are problems. I want to say, if you're struggling right now with a relationship, a boss, an employee, uh, someone that you supervise, a neighbor, a family member, spouse, child, parent, sibling, someone in the church, and you're really having strife because you don't know how to deal with this issue, today is a day for you to begin to praise the Lord about that situation. You say, what do I have to praise God about? Well, ask him. He will show you. There are things to praise him about. There's nothing that I can praise him about that. There is no situation, friend, in which there isn't a point of praise to God. And if you don't know what it is, start to praise God just for who he is. Just praise him for his name. Just praise him for his ways. Just praise him for his love. And praise him for the opportunity to learn more about him through a problem that you don't know how to handle. Thank God that we don't know how to handle every problem that came our way. Because which one of us would ever turn to God if we knew how to achieve everything we wanted to achieve without him? Which one of us would ever go to God unless we had to? It's the problems that drive us to him, isn't it? It's the times of challenge when we really recognize we need him and thank God for that. Literally thank him for that because there are many people living out there who think they don't need God and nothing could be further from the truth. They are dead wrong. And that phrase is literal. They're wrong and dead in their wrongness. And they refuse to believe that they need God. Maybe they refuse to believe that there even is a God. So they never offer up praise to God and never experience the blessing of knowing that I need God, that I want God, that I have God. The answer to every problem is praise. That's point number three. People have problems. People can be problems. But if you and I are going to be people of praise as Judah were, if we are to be people who are following the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the country, the king of the universe, the king of creation, then we are to be people who advance with praise to the Lord, who like Caleb say, I've trusted you and you haven't failed me. And even if I haven't seen the result of every promise that you've made, I don't need to. I don't even need to see you. I believe anyway. You said, Lord Jesus, blessed are those who do not see and still believe. And I thank you for that blessing that comes to me by faith from you. That's real praise. All of a sudden, our life starts to flourish, to blossom with deep gratitude to God when we start to remember who he really is when we actively acknowledge what he's really done. I want you to do this today. Make a list. Write it down. You know, go to a piece of paper and a pen and write it down. Type it into a computer. 
write it in your phone, but let there be in print, and you can put it in that drawer, the drawer of good words about you. Listen, you know what should be in everybody's drawer of good words for bad days? This whole book. Your word I have hidden in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you. Let this word not depart from my mouth, but I'll meditate in it day and night that I may observe to do according to all that is written in it so that I won't fall to the right or to the left, so that I won't freeze at 40,000 feet up, so that I won't go down in flames, but I'll rise up in light because your word is there for me and my remembrance of what you've done, of what you've said, of how you've helped. You start to write that list today and here's what you'll find if you do it faithfully. You won't be able to stop. You'll be writing it the rest of your life. It'll get longer and longer and longer. You will begin to have a list so long of the things to praise God for that no problem that, that springs up in the midst of it will possibly be able to, to, to counter the entire universe of gratitude that God is showing you. And even in that, if you and I live our whole lives doing that, we will not have begun to scratch the surface of our internal occupation, which will be forever and ever praising the Lord because it's our purpose. It's what we were made for. It's the consummation of our lives. It's the fullness of joy. Give praise to God. Lord, I thank you for the pandemic. Not because I thank you for death or destruction, but because it draws us to you. It thrusts us on our knees. It reminds us of our need. And we only deserve what has come, but you give us what we don't deserve. You give us grace in the midst of it. Lord, let this pandemic be a place in which your name is praised for your miracle works of healing for your miracle works of revival. Let it be a time, Lord, where our love, our joy, our happiness overflows. Lord, I rebuke the spirit of discouragement, of despair, of doubt, of, of depression. Let praise well up from your lips right where you are. Start to say thank you to God. Just say thank you, God. Just say I praise you, God. Just say you are good, God. Say I'm sorry that I've doubted you. I'm sorry I was tired, but I feel encouraged. I feel revived, and I thank you for it, Jesus. Say thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for being patient with my impatience. Thank you for being patient with my foolishness. Thank you for showing me what I could never see on my own. Thank you for your word. Thank you for my church. Thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I have food. Thank you that I have clothes. Thank you that you've healed me in the past. Thank you that I'm facing a present problem that only you can help. Thank you that it reminds me that you're my only hope. Thank you that you are faithful. You are the one who is always hope and help to me no matter what my circumstances. Praise the Lord. Start your day with praise. Spend your day in praise. End your day in praise. Every time you watch the news, make sure you praise the Lord. If you're watching the news and you're not praising the Lord, you're getting filled with everything bad and not remembering anything good. If you are scrolling, doom scrolling like they say, then you better be reading the scroll of the book. Praise the Lord. Don't just let the world fill you with what the world says. You fill the world with what God says because you're filled with who God is. And if that doesn't produce praise from people, then there'd be no hope. But it does every time. Every time you and I open to the Lord and say, I need you, praise comes forth from us. Right now, there are people who are being delivered out of fear, out of the bondage of depression, out of anxiety. There's even physical healing occurring. Praise the Lord for it. Confess it. Express it. Don't doubt. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he has done for others, he will do for you. But you need to trust him. 
You need to trust him with everything. He is not piecemeal. He won't just take part of your life and fix part of your life. If you want his life, he's giving you all of his life. He doesn't give just portions. He doesn't give you just an allotment in him. That was in the days of old. But there is a new covenant in effect. All of the kingdom is intended for all of you. But you've got to give all of yourself to the God who gave all for you. You're not your own. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Give yourself to him. And let praise flow from your lips. Lord, right now we confess our sins to you. And we repent of them. It is a joy to repent. You give and you take away. You give us your righteousness. You take away our unrighteousness. You give us your garments of praise. And you take away our wrecked and ruined garments of ashes. You take away the sackcloth. You take away the loss. You take away the debt. You take away the disease. You take away the destruction. You take away death. And you give life. And so we will say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Now, Lord, take our lives. Maybe it's the first time we're making this commitment to you. Maybe it's the millionth time. But we say we belong to you. Make us your people, people of praise. And to God be the glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, church. God bless you. Thank you for your ongoing giving. Thank you for your ongoing praying. Thank you for your love. Thank you that from this moment forward, you walk forth into the world filled with praise, filled with purpose, filled with prayer and prophetic power to be the body of Christ and witness to the world in the Lord. We'll see you on Wednesday night for our Zoom meeting. You can find the login information at mypcf.org events page. And we will see you once again next week here in our uh, live streaming service. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord fill you with all his praise. Hallelujah.